we can just stay for a moment with our eyes closed. Can you put your hands out in a state of receiving, however that looks to you? Jesus, this moment we choose to give it to you. Father, we don't want to do it on our own. We don't want to try on our own effort, our own knowledge. We just want to receive, Jesus, what you have for us. We ask, Holy Spirit, speak today. May your word go forth and penetrate deep inside each of our hearts. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on. Well, if you want to go ahead and grab a seat real quick. All right. So uh, something I've been thinking about lately, and I've been teaching on this in men's ministry this week, and we'll be diving into it more next week. That's a really good plug. Uh, hey, men, Tuesday morning, 630. It's like right there. You guys should come and show up. It's awesome. Uh, but we talked this week about the importance of spending time in the Word. So one of the things, uh, Paulie, one of my friends right here, he's visiting with us today, uh, he says this all the time, I hear him, uh, did you guys know that there are uh, 31 chapters in Proverbs, and the month that has the most days, or the months that have the most days is 31? Uh, so I always say a proverb a day keeps the devil away, uh, or... You know, uh, but I spend, I try to read Proverbs every day and you just match it up. Well, uh, on the 17th, I was reading Proverbs and I came across Proverbs chapter seven, uh, Proverbs 17 verse nine. And I read this uh, and it's talking not in marriage context, but I put in it, put it in marriage context. So this is Tim's marriage version of Proverbs 17, nine. It says, a spouse who conceals a transgression seeks love, but a spouse who repeats a matter brings separation. When I read that this last uh, couple weeks ago, I really felt that was for someone, just a special note for someone today. Uh, basically, we have the opportunity to cover over the faults of our spouse, or we can choose to repeat the faults of our spouse. And uh, what you do is going to determine what you get. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to read that one more time, then we'll get into today, which is completely not based on this, but it's okay. It says, a spouse who conceals a transgression seeks love, but a spouse who repeats it, repeats a matter, brings separation. Come on. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Um, so... When we were getting ready for today, the thought came through my head of a lot of times individually, we make the statement, I want God to use me. Like, I want, I want to be used by God as an individual. I want to go out and preach the word. I want to be an example to those uh, where I work or uh, if I'm in class, I want to be an example. And we use the context for things like that with the kingdom of God to be, I want me to be used. But when I was thinking about it recently, I thought, man, how much cooler is it that we would be used for the kingdom of God rather than just me? Yeah. Do you guys know that God wants to use each of you individually, but he also wants your marriage to be a representation of the kingdom of God? Like, that's an incredible thought. And do you know that that's why the devil hates marriage so much? Because marriage is the representation of what he could never get. Yeah. 
Because he wanted to be in the likeness of God, but he was a created angel that fell. He wanted to be made in the likeness of God, but he rebelled. And in his rebellion, there was no opportunity for a a restoration to happen. God made Adam in the likeness Mm -hmm. of God. Adam rebelled, but God said, you want to know what? Even in his rebellion, I'll make a way that he can come back. And then if you look in Ephesians, uh, it talks about we need to love like Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's because as a marriage, we represent the union that that we get restored in a relationship with God. So when the devil looks at our marriage, he absolutely hates marriage. Well, you want to know what? The devil's defeated, right? Amen. The devil's defeated. But we get the opportunity to choose to say, I don't want me to just be used, but I want we to be used. I want to choose to let to let to let my my marriage represent God and his kingdom. So we need, we need to pattern ourselves on what God wants. The problem is, can I be honest with you guys? The problem is distraction easily comes. Uh, I can, I can, okay, can I, can I be real with you guys in something that the Lord's dealing with me with real quick? Um, I was at, we were at a marriage, I wasn't at a marriage conference the other day. We were at a marriage conference the other day, uh, EXO marriage conference uh, down in Kalamazoo. Uh, we were at a marriage conference and one of the pastors speaking was Jimmy Evans. And uh, Jimmy Evans was speaking and he was talking about how, how detrimental technology can be in our marriages and in our family. And this is something that the Lord's been working with me a little bit on. Uh, I can really easily go to my phone and it's almost like security for me. Like I'm alone. Hold up. Let me grab my phone because I could surf the internet. I could check out what's on Amazon or uh, I can try to buy something, you know, uh, I can get distracted so easy with, with the thought of like reaching for my phone. And, and, and so many times distraction can come there's a there's a, a a parable called the the parable of the buried treasure where Jesus is teaching. Let me let me grab the verse real quick. It's way in the top of my notes. So hold up. But there's a parable uh, in Matthew chapter 13 verse 44, and it says, "And the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid." And for joy over it, he goes out and sells everything that he has and buys that field. What would have happened in this moment if this guy found that buried treasure, buried it up, started selling stuff, got his house sold, sold his Mercedes Benz, and then all of a sudden got distracted and never ended up getting what God had for him, which was that buried treasure? If we're not careful, we can get distracted in life and it will make it so we don't ever receive what God fully has for us. Amen? We can get distracted and allow other things to come in and take us off from our focus and get us onto something else. And, and, and we can find ourselves lost and wandering. And we're like, where did we ever go? Because we got distracted along the way. So today we're going to go through this, a story of Lot. I'm going to hand it over to Rachel. She's going to start the story of Lot. And we're going to look at how Lot got distracted in his life. So treasure, like when you hear the word treasure, I want you to just, what, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? You raise your hand. Tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Yes, Christy. Sparkly. So attractive to the eye. Anybody else? Treasure. 
Like, what's the first thing that you think of when you think treasure? Yes, Scott. Money. Okay, riches. Yes, Tony. Gold. Okay, yeah, there's more people buying gold these days. That's coming back around. Anybody else? Treasure. Dustin. Ah, you all had great answers, but that was the answer. <laughs> Dina, just pat your husband on the leg and say, babe, you, you've you are. You've trained him well. <laughs> so I think we all can relate that when we met our one, it was like everything in the world stood still. And they were the one that we were going after. I can tell you it's the same at the end. I'm a hospice nurse. When the potential of someone's life is coming to an end, their spouse, again, no matter what's going on in life, that spouse is restored to the number one priority. Who cares about the cottage? Who cares about the boat or the retirement account? Who cares about the soccer games? My spouse is my priority again. So here, you know, we want to define what treasure is because treasure gets you into trouble. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we're going to go through this story of Abraham and Lot because treasure and things got in the way of a promise on both of them. So Genesis 12 through 19, if you want to write that, that down, it's an incredible thing <laughs> To study. I just have to laugh because when I think of how much they had to carry to move out of Haran, we probably have 45 pages of notes to cover in 30 minutes of time. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He knows what needs to be said. Amen. Um, but so Genesis 12 through 19. So Abraham is given a command from the Lord. God comes right at the beginning of, beginning of chapter 12. He says, Abraham, I'm going to read it because his words are better than mine. So now in Haran, the Lord had said to Abraham, go away from your country and from your relatives. Some of you are like, amen. <laughs> I think God is calling us to do the same thing. I am Abraham's descendant. <laughs> Sorry if there's in-laws here. Of the, we're just kidding. We're just kidding. It's not you. <laughs> okay. So... So go away from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you abundantly and make your name great, exalted and distinguished and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So he said to leave his relatives. Who did he take? He could take his wife and his kids, right? But leave your relatives. Leave them. And who does he, like, the next morning, he wakes up and he's like, hey, Lot's coming with us. I can just imagine how this went down with him and Sarai. Like, I'm bringing my nephew. And I'm sure there had to be a conversation like, did you hear what he said? We're supposed to leave him. So how can that hit us? Relationships are sticky, right? They're supposed to be that way. Relationships matter. I am pretty sure that there was a bond between Abraham and Lot. 
There was either a friendship, a mentorship, or they were, or Abraham was just so fond, maybe felt a responsibility over him as his uncle, but they stretched the command there. Now that can be okay. Lot followed along with all of their things for a while and there was blessing, okay? God still showed up the first time that Abraham prayed so he didn't lose God's favor. He said, this is the land I'm giving you. They go on to Egypt. Abraham tries to trade in Sarai for his protection. We'll cover that later tonight. And then they get out of Egypt but they collected so much riches. They collected so many donkeys and oxen and herds that it came to the point where the land could not sustain their possessions. Pause. Have any of you ever tried to pack for a camping trip <laughs> with your kids coming? Oh, oh. I, I really believe, okay, it, I'm just going to be honest. Isn't it a stretch to show up to Married Life Camping Trip and you're all like, hey, family, like, welcome to Married Life Camping Trip, and everyone's walking out of their camper like, yep, we survived. <laughs> like, okay, so for me and Tim to put our four kids in the car, let's say that's our true treasure, it's like, all right, kids, get in the car, right? Get in the car, it might take a couple minutes for them to find their shoes, strap yourselves in. But when it comes to bringing all of your possessions, it takes two vehicles, 14 days, an Excel file, two bottles of ibuprofen, and couples therapy. After you have packed your possessions. Can anybody relate to me or is it just me? Okay. <laughs> so what happened is that that's what they started to feel. They have now moved all of their possessions around this valley, like a lot, all of their possessions and their wives and their kids and their herdsmen. Like, could you imagine the wives are probably like, no, that bag doesn't go next to that bag. No, that animal, keep him away from that. Oh, oh my goodness. Like just the conflict that probably it was arising. It said that the conflict was so great that Abraham said, Lot, we have to separate Please let there not be conflict between us or our herdsmen. We must separate. But what separated them? Did God, like, release his favor off of Lot? No. Did he release his favor and did Abraham lose his connection with God? No. What separated them? Their stuff separated them. To sustain their possessions, it separated them. So Abraham lets Lot choose, like, wherever you want to go. You can look to the right. You can look to the left. You choose, and I'll go the other direction. So Lot looks, and he sees the most plush areas of the valley, and he chooses that for himself. And he goes, and he sets up camp. Well, his camp that he sets up is right next to the cities. This is Rachel's commentary, this part. You know, he's coming away from watching Abraham be blessed. They got really blessed in Egypt because there was a big showdown between the Pharaoh about Sarai. Again, we'll hit that later. So they gained a lot of riches from that time. So I can imagine that that really felt good for Lot. 
to watch his possessions grow. So he was not content staying in a tent near Sodom. He wound up slowly compromising closer to Sodom. But the thing is, it says that the men of Sodom were so, I want to read this because it's, oh, it's just good. It's not good. It's actually very naughty. But it's, it's so powerful. It says, the men of Sodom were extremely wicked and sinful against the Lord, unashamed in their open sin before him. So this is the thing. Lot knew what he was getting his family into. He knew what he was getting his family into. And he increased in Sodom. He increased to the point that he was sitting at the city gates. I want you to think back to what sitting at the city gates for a husband means. His wife had a part. Proverbs 31.23 says that a wife that a husband will be sitting among the city gates with the city leaders, and that's accounted back to the wife, the Proverbs 31 wife. So what's amazing is God's favor and blessing. When we, you know, are his children, we can still have that. But he was getting the favor and the blessing in hell on earth. And he stayed there, and he camped there. So... So what ends up happening is disaster in Genesis 14, chapter 10. Disaster ends up coming to Sodom and Gomorrah. And some kings kind of gather together, and they come after these two cities. And they end, up, they end up taking all the stuff from the cities, and they take Lot. And they start heading, uh, taking them away back to where they're from. And it says Abraham heard about it. Well, Abraham at this point still... Uh, feels that he should help out Lot. So Abraham, or Abram, sorry, Abram, he's not Abraham yet. Abram gathers his guys and takes off. So it's Abram and his blessed guys against these wicked kings that have all these armies. So he goes up and Abraham takes them out, takes them all out, gathers all the stuff back up. And then this is actually where uh, he meets uh Melchizedek, if you know who that is, it's uh, the first tithe in the Bible. It's kind of a cool story. You should read it. But he ends up making the way back over to Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, Abraham's like, I don't want none of this stuff. Just here, have it all back. Gives it all back. Because what does Abraham realize? Where does Abram, I keep saying Abraham. It's the same guy. But uh, where Abraham realized his blessing comes from God and not from himself. So he's always thinking, I want to posture myself to where blessing can come from God and not my own action. Where Lot, you can kind of begin to feel he's kind of getting distracted. He's turning his focus away from his relationship with God, so to speak, and he's turning towards his relationship with people. He's like, hey, I can leverage myself in a position of authority in this city. I can get the blessing for myself. And he's getting distracted in his life. So Abraham returns him, and then this is where I want to get to. So Genesis chapter 18, and I'm going to start in verse 20. And watch what happens. This is because the wickedness that is present in this city is just crazy. And it says, And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah has 
is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. And I will go down now and see if they have done uh, entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. So God's like, I just got to check this out figure out what's going on, and go after it. So in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 23, God kind of gets into negotiation with Abram. God's like, okay, this city is done. I am going to destroy this city. And Abraham's like, hey, well, what about like the righteous people that live there? And this is where God's like 40, 35, 30, breaking it down, and gets to 10, and God's like, if there's 10 people, I will save the city. Ten people, can you imagine an entire town where ten people can't be found that aren't live like that that are you know so so you can imagine just the the city that's going on and God gives uh, God says I will save Abram or sorry I will save Lot and his his descendants so the negotiation happens but Genesis chapter nineteen and this is where it kind of picks up. So God sends two angels to Sodom, and it says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So Lot's at the city gate with the leaders. Lot saw them. He rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you will rise early and go on your way. They responded, No. But we shall spend the night in the square. Lot urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered the house. And he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread. So you got this story going on where these angels are showing up at at Lot's house. He's like, hey, and he's kind of celebrating them. It says, before... Uh, before they lay down the men of the city, this just kind of gives an example of what's going on. And and you got to remember, where did Lot come from? Lot came from sitting underneath Abram and receiving the blessing of the Lord. And now listen to what the description of what's going on in this city. And think about how he has compromised his life so much to find himself here. Because this is just mind-blowing. It says, before they lay their head down, the men of the city surrounded Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. So the entire city is surrounding his house. And they cried to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may have sexual relationships with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him. So Lot's squeaking out, shutting the door behind him. And he said, please, my brothers. Pause. He's referring to them as his brothers. What is wrong with this guy? But it says, do not act wickedly. He says to them, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with men. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Can you just say what in the, you fill in that word in your head. So he offered his daughters to be gang raped by his brothers in the city. How can he get to that point? How can he get to that point? I can't even think. I mean, this had to have happened to him when he moved into the city because it seems like it's like a fraternity. You know, when Abraham had to circumcise everybody of his, like was under his care and under his covenant, 
It's like this was the covenant of Sodom was gang rape. And when I think of the fact that he offered his daughters. There's something sick and twisted. I can only think back because I'm like, Lord, you know, where could he pick that up? So Abram, when they were in Egypt, he had this promise that he knew that God was going to bless him and his descendants. And he, they had to go to Egypt because there was a big famine. So they're in Egypt, but his wife, Sarai, it says that she was very beautiful. And she was 65 years old. Like, that's incredible. There are some 65-year-old women in here who are gorgeous. So I know it can happen. But we're always gorgeous until we're 120. Amen. But Abram said to his wife, Sarai, Please tell them that you're my sister so that because of you, my life can be spared. Because it was like the promise was just for him. So that had to be something that was witnessed by Lot of like, oh, the promise is on the man. So he can sacrifice his wife or the women of the family so that the promise and the faithfulness of God will remain on him. God did not honor that at all. All the plagues and all the issues came to Pharaoh to the point where he's like, take her back. Can you imagine that talk? Like, because she got taken as his wife, Pharaoh's wife. But before they had relations, it all came out because God sent revenge. He sent vengeance for what had happened to show Abram, no, this is not the way. So what that showed me... This is a Rachel quote. Believing the call on your life is separate from your wife is the same as believing the call on your life is separate from Jesus. I'm going to say that again. again? Believing the call on your life is separate from your wife is the same as believing the call on your life is separate from Jesus. We represent that. So when, and it can go both ways, a woman who thinks the call on her life is more important than her husband. No, it is meant to happen together. So I can only picture that that was embedded in his heart from witnessing what Abram did to sacrifice Sarai. Come on, I'm going to jump back to something you said because uh, I'm going to say it a little bit different way, but Abram chose to sacrifice his wife, so to speak, on the relationship or on the on the altar sorry abraham chose to sacrifice his wife so to speak on the altar of his protection right here lot chooses to sacrifice his daughters on the altar of protecting these guys from the demonic place that he has found himself we need to choose to keep our eyes where they need to be so that we cannot get distracted and find ourselves in a place like this. I'm guessing Lot didn't look at Abram, look at this valley and think, yeah, I want to go there in that city and someday I want to offer up my daughters to all the men of that city. I'm guessing that wasn't on his mind, but he found himself there. How many times can we find ourselves in a place like that if we're not careful? We need to make sure we don't get distracted in our lives. Mm -hmm. 
So please, brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with men. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men. And as much as they have come under the shelter of my roof, I wish he would say that about his daughters who were under the shelter of his roof. I wish he would say that about his wife and daughters who he's letting live in a city that they should never be living in. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien, talking about law, like you're an alien, you don't even belong here. And already you're acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. But the men reached out, the two angels reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the door. Guys, husbands, wives, we have to be careful to not let distraction in. Sometimes it's so easy to look at green valleys and think, oh, I'll go there. Because that looks nice and relaxing and cozy when really we have to, who do we have to follow? We don't follow our pleasure. We follow the Lord, right? But it's so easy to get caught into the spot. So I think we can all be like, Lot, you were a fool. But we need to be real. That could be us right now. Because I'm telling you, when I think of the fact of like selling our house, like let's just do something practical. Okay, we've never moved. 14 years, we've been living in the same house. All my baby things all the Christmas decorations from 14 years ago. I've been homeschooling. I have not had time to declutter. Don't judge. (laughs) If, If you could see my garage and my storage room, the dread that I have thinking about going through everything and donating and giving it away or throwing it out and the memories and the, oh, I just cherish this onesie this was Josephine's first onesie look at that was her spit up it's so cute and the thought of going through the stuff that like hangs over you and it daunts over you that is enough for me never to move I'm just never gonna move I am just gonna stay there so that's the thing sometimes it's not like I'm just loving living in outright destruction Sometimes it's, I just don't want to have to face cleaning up what I've been living in. Sometimes we just don't want to face it. And it can be something as simple as like, something's holding you back because you have too much of a cluttered house. That can totally hold somebody back. Maybe it's a toxic school that your kids are in, but you're vested. You've got money in this school. You've got relationships in this school but there's toxic stuff happening with your kids and the thought of having to address it by pulling them out, it's just easier to stay in. Maybe there's conflict in a family that you don't wanna have to face. Maybe there's conversations that must be had because an overstep and a misuse of a relationship happened with one of your children or your spouse, but it is too uncomfortable to face it, and to detach from it, so we stay in it. I think we are actually possibly closer 
to where Lot is sitting because the thought of going through everything, it mortifies us sometimes and it feels too overwhelming. So we're just going to sit in this. We're just going to sit in it. And I think of it as a stronghold. You know, I had sexual abuse in my past as a kid. It happened a couple times as a kid. And you would think that I would be like, never going to happen again. I am covered by the blood. It's never going to happen again. But what did my flesh want to do? It just kind of kept finding those same circumstances where it could be misused and abused. It kind of just kept going back to that. That's called a strong hold. Someone who's had anger in their family. You witness your parents screaming at each other, and you're like, that will never happen to me. That will never, I would never do that. My marriage is going to be the most gentle. We're going to talk things out. We're going to love each other. And all of a sudden, you're catching yourself screaming. And it's like, I I thought that was never going to be me. That's a strong hold. So that's what happened to Lot. He had a strong hold on his life. And a man that was righteous, a man that was holy, and he, he was brought up with the values. You know, he was close with Abraham. He saw Abraham, Abram's relationship with God. He saw him build the altars. He saw him worship down at the feet. He saw him listen to the Lord, and he would go where the Lord was going. He saw Abram miss it, and God still come beside him and bless him. The enemy wants us to get our clothes off and defy our bodies and to defy our families so that we are so, so fearful to break free and get freedom. Where God calls us to get naked before him with our hearts and say, I am being vulnerable with you, Father. I am hurting. I am in this mess, and I don't know how to get out, but I just want to open it up to you. And then we get free. So, like... Going through this story, I can just see how in our culture, if we're not like, we are not as a family going to put this before our eyes. We are not as a family going to put ourselves in these circumstances. Telling our kids, if you get into a situation where you feel unsafe, I want you to call me and say, hey, mom, I have a really burning stomach ache. Can you come and pick me up? Code words. Like, our kids need to see us detaching from toxic grips so that they know that mommy and daddy saw that it was hard, but they saw that it was worth it because of what God was calling us to as a family. And if mommy and daddy could separate from those friends, could cut out those habits, could change their heart, could start listening to the Lord instead of listening to toxic voices of this world, then I can do it too. Because you know what? Our kids are not without hope. Our kids have hope. But we need to teach them that we can't be our only hope. I've got a picture of Lot's wife. And what hit me so hard was the verse Luke Yeah, Luke, it's the salt picture, the salt pillar. They think, I actually had a real picture. They actually think that this is her. It's very interesting. So this is right next to the Dead Sea. So honestly, it really makes sense that it's salt. But when you think of Luke 17, 30 through 35, 
Even so will it be the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the house top and his goods, his possessions, worldly treasures are in the house, let him not go down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. This is New Testament. This is very important. Jesus is saying, remember Lot's wife. That's why we're talking about her. And that, if we can put that back up, that was a picture of her. It says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed, and there will be one taken, and the other will be left. This is important. This is so important because she looked back. So let's, so let's real quick follow this story. Mm-hmm. So Law is in this moment where he offers his daughters. It gets crazy. The angels pull him in. The, the angels strike him with, with uh, strike the guys outside with blindness. And Law is in his house with his family. And finally he comes to the moment where he's like, okay. The angels announce that they're going to destroy the city. He's like, okay. The angels say, go as, basically as far as you can. Lot's like, I can't go that far. He's already arguing with the, with the angels. The, he's like, let me go to that town over there. And the angels are like, okay, go, but don't look back. Yeah. Don't look back. So Lot takes his wife and his daughters, and they start walking out of the city. And the Bible illustrates that, uh, that, that Lot's wife looked back. And in the moment she looked back, she turned to a pillar of salt standing there. And it's this idea of she was so broken. She was got, they got so far away from what God's plan was for them that she couldn't even walk away from that wicked city even after watching everything that had happened. The, the city ends up getting destroyed. Abraham ends up traveling. And then just to, just to add on like how the wickedness that Lot allowed his family to sit in continued and, and went on even after they left the city. If you look at Genesis, Genesis uh, 19 in verse 30, it says, Lot went up from Zor and stayed in the mountains and and his two daughters with him. For he was afraid to stay in Zor, and he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. The firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in us after the manner of the, of the earth. Come, let us make our father drunk with wine, and let us lie with him that we may preserve our family through our father." goes on to say, so they made their father drunk one uh, with wine that night. And the first, and it goes on, and they end up both having kids Something by bad. essentially raping their father. That, like, the thought, Jeannie says this a lot, Pastor Jeannie. She says, what your compromise is will become your kids normal. So the father tried to compromise and pass along his children to save his name and his life. And his daughters, once they're free, like they're set free, they are the only people out of the city. They just watch their mom, like, go to salt. Like, you would think that they're like, okay, keep going. You know, like, there's going to be hope. We're being led out of destruction, but there's going to be hope. 
No, they were allowed to live in that toxic town long enough that even being set free and their lives spared, they still were completely carrying the DNA of that town to the point where they intoxicated their dad. They had him drink, and how did he not know he's having sex? They're in the mountains. Who else did he think it was? Like, this is just messed up. But this happens. This is happening. These kind of relationships are happening. This isn't, like, back then. This is now. People want to take control of their life. They're fearful. They're thinking there's no hope. They're not being told that there's hope. So they're intoxicating their dad to take matters into their own hands. So this is where it's so important to know as a family, as a husband and wife, where are we going? Yeah, yeah. So if I can go all the way back to the beginning of this message, there's a lot of times when we tend to think God has a call on my life. But can I just tell you guys real quick, God has a call on your marriage and he wants something that you, he has something amazing for you and your spouse to walk in together. We can never let something come and distract us from our spouse and mm-hmm. our pursuit of the Lord together as a couple. Even if it seems like it's really good, yeah. it's still, we need to focus on God, spouse. Amen? Amen. Amen. So this is where we kind of wanted to end and wrap up this message is a moment of just kind of quieting ourselves down, going before the Lord and and asking him, Jesus, have we allowed something or it's going to be personal. So it's Jesus, have I allowed something to come between us or to come and distract me from the call you have on us as a couple? And this is a moment for the Lord just to kind of come to us. I don't think any of us are living in Sodom and Gomorrah right now. You know what I mean? Like none of us are there. But still little distractions can make a big impact overall. And we need to allow ourselves to come before the Lord and say, Jesus, is there anything that we need to work on? Is that cool? Can we do that? So I'm going to have, can I have everyone uh, close your eyes real quick? We're just going to go to a kind of moment of quietness. And, uh, And in our hearts, we're just going to ask Jesus, Jesus, is there something that is distracting me from the call that you have on us. I say that very specifically that way. God, is there something that is distracting me for the call that you have on us as a couple? So while you're thinking, our heart with married life is always, as husband and wives, to feel safe when you are here and when you are being sent out that We really want to teach and embed that a healthy marriage is when a husband will look inwardly at himself and say, what can I bring to our marriage? And what is God asking me personally to do with him and then through him for my wife? And that the wife, us women, that we look inwardly at us say, Holy Spirit, what are you showing me? Am I, have I compromised in the not good way of the word? Have I compromised and allowed something to keep me looking back at? And I challenge you as husband and wife that 
before I'm gonna try to do this let me think maybe you have a really short ride home so maybe this won't work but I would say before you get out of your car tonight I really feel like there's that need I would like you to try to voice to your one what the Holy Spirit showed you that you would like to bring to light of something that he's saying can we can I like help us in this area to make sure that we are walking in alignment with God so Holy Spirit I just ask Lord God that you are the one that is leading all of our marriages that you are the motive behind our marriage you are driving our marriage that you Holy Spirit are reminding us that who we're supposed to be taking along for the ride is our spouse and our children if we've allowed the areas of our heart today I got a picture of your marriage being a tree trunk so you've got the Lord as the roots and your marriage is you as husband and wife as the tree trunk and how much do we just want to like produce good fruit you know we want to have a good job we want to love our church family and we want to be great mom and dad we want to be there for our kids we want to produce good fruit but if the fruit that you're trying to get out to show is too heavy and the trunk can't sustain it, that tree's going to fall over. So God, I pray that you are building our marriages strong so that we are embedded in you, we are engrafted in you so that our children are going to be able to hang well in this world and our fruit is going to be righteous fruit. It's going to be fruit for your kingdom. That you're going to say to our tree, you look like a great fig tree. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> so if we can all just give God a hand for how much he loves marriage.